Thank you, worship team. Well, this is a perfect day for this message because, as you notice, spring has rolled in. Amen? Wasn't a beautiful day? And Jesus said in the Word of God that when the fig tree starts to blossom, get ready because my coming is near. And every spring when the trees start to blossom, I think of his soon coming return. I brought one um, visual aid with me and forgot my reading glasses on the way to church, so I had to slam on the brakes to turn around to get them so I could get here in time because, you know, I'm 44 years old, not 84 like Taya thinks. I was trying to Taya, you're four and I'm 44. Isn't that neat? Four. So you're four, I'm 44. And so I said, how old am I? 84. Okay, I'm not 84, but I need my reading glasses. So I slammed on my brakes to turn around to get my reading glasses, and the monkeys that were on a pole fell off of my Noah's Ark. Now, Jeff got this for me. My husband got this for me some time ago. But uh, this is my visual aid. Something else interesting happened. It opens up, and there's piggies on the door there, okay? And um, when I got it out of my curio cabinet, now it was in a you know curio cabinet with a door on it, when I got it out of the cabinet, I thought, well, I don't want those pigs there because I want to show the ark with the door closed. So I went to close the door, and I'm like, what? The door was jamming, and there was this crackling sound. I said, what's going on? And right down in the crease of the door, there was a stink bug. He was, like, totally uh, petrified. Whatever happens to bugs when they get real hard, you know, and he, he wouldn't even crack. And I'm like, okay, so much for Genesis 7, and the Lord God shut them in. There was no shutting them in because God didn't have stink bugs in his way back then. But that's going to be one of our visual aids here in a little bit. Now, this is a very serious message because the Lord is coming back. Amen? Now, the world doesn't believe it to be so. Unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't live it to be so. Amen? Amen. Yes, many of us, we're we're very guilty of this, but it's very, very important that we understand. The return of the Lord is a subject about which the church of Jesus Christ as a whole is pretty doggone silent. Yeah. But it is not a topic about which the Bible is very silent. Whether you read the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, or you read Jesus Christ, amen, they were always talking about the second coming of the Lord. It's our hope. Check out the doctrine of Christian and Missionary Alliance. We believe in the personal, visible, imminent return of Jesus Christ. You know what that means, imminent? means could happen at any second. It could happen while we're sitting here tonight. And unfortunately, we as people in general are not living that way. So this is a critical, critical message. And actually, when I posted on Facebook that I was going to talk about the second coming of the Lord, one of a, fo- a former student of mine uh, questioned uh, under that Facebook post and said, but how do you know that the book of Revelation is true or that Revelation is true? And I said, well, that's a whole other topic. Come to my apologetics activated class. I said, but I'm not even going to use the book of Revelation tonight. We'll talk about the second coming of the Lord and never even go to the book of Revelation, which is interesting in and of itself. Amen? Okay, so let's get out your Bibles if you have them. I have no PowerPoint this evening. I felt God lead me to say no PowerPoint. We're going to go straight to the Word, and that makes me preach better because I'm not stuck to a PowerPoint. I'm just going to go straight to the Word of God. So get out your Bibles, and uh, I'll tell you where we're going to be turning, and I love to hear the rustling pages, you know. How many of you like to hear rustling Bible pages? so cool. Okay, so we're going to hear a lot of that tonight, so let's let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this gathering tonight. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back again. No bones about it, Lord. You are coming back to make everything right. What should we as a church be thinking about that? How should we be living and acting, and how should this be affecting our everyday lives? We need to know what you say, God. Because the world and the church has watered this down. We want to go straight back to your word. So open up our minds and open up our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, beautiful verse about the return of the Lord is Titus chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Uh, There's three verses here tucked in this tiny little book that Paul wrote. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God. Has Had to count how many words it was. Okay. Seven words that it starts off with 
are one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm quoting from the ESV version, says, For the grace of God has appeared. Now, if we stop there, I could preach a whole message on those seven words. How many of you say amen when I say, For the grace of God has appeared. Thank you, God, that your grace has even appeared to us. If it weren't for the undeserved favor of God, we would be hopeless. Amen? The grace of God has appeared to take away our sins. And we are dirty, rotten sinners, are we not? And the grace of God has appeared to take away our sins. So, first of all, the grace of God has even appeared at all. And it says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, how many in this room know that the grace of God came to save you? Right? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Okay, otherwise I'm thinking there's a lot of students in here. We need to go back to, you know, Bible 101 before we do the return of the Lord. How many of you know that the grace of God came to bring you salvation? Amen. How many of you also knew that the grace of God is for other stuff? It's not just about getting saved. It says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Now, the word in the Greek for training there has to do with training little children. It means to discipline, to steer, okay? The grace of God isn't just this, ah, beautiful little thing that rains down upon you and saves you and then it's gone. Once you're saved, the grace of God acts as your trainer. Look at that. The grace of God is not just wishy-washy stuff. It's tough stuff. So the grace of God has appeared training us to say no or to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, if you're like me and you're sitting in this room and there are times you say, but Shelly, I can't help it. Sin just overtakes me. I just lose my temper. I can't control myself. The grace of God has appeared, training us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God is how you live for God. Amen? You have the power to overcome sin in the name of Jesus Christ. Training us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Look at this. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It's kind of weird because the word there in the ESV is is translated self-controlled. And by its very nature, you think self-control means who does it? I do it. But it's the grace of God that lets Shelley Prindle have what? Self-control. The grace of God. Listen, living the Christian life is not by your power. If you're relying on your power, you're going to be in big, big trouble. You are saved by the grace. You are kept by the grace. It trains you to say no to ungodliness. And what it also does is it it teaches you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In what age? What does your Bible say? In what age? In the present age. Contrasting that. That means there's another age to come. Amen? There's a present age. And there's a future age. It teaches you to do these things in the present age. And watch this. I love this phrase. Waiting. This is what the grace of God does. It allows you to wait. Waiting for the what? What does it say? Say it out loud. Waiting for the what? The blessed hope. What is your ultimate hope? Your hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? If you wake up every morning and your true hope is not how much money's in your 401k, not how happy your boss is going to be with you that day, not how many uh, things you have on your social calendar, if you wake up in the morning and genuinely and truly your hope is the soon appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, you're going to live life like nobody's business. Amen? Amen? That is our blessed hope. That is what we're talking about. That is what we're waiting for. Now, take your Bible. Uh, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is one of my, what do you think I'm going to say? Favorite chapters in the Bible. Okay? I only have a few favorite verses and chapters, and this happens to be one of them. That was a sarcastic statement. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, who wrote the book of Peter? Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' three closest friends. So if anybody had a handle on the heartbeat of Jesus, it would be who? Peter. Now, Peter vacillated. He was up and down when he, wa- when he walked with Jesus. He failed a lot. But God eventually brought him back around. And by the time he writes the book of First and Second Peter, you see a whole different guy here. Now, Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. 
This is an amazing chapter, and it is extremely convicting. I have taught about this chapter before in a different context in a different way, but I want you to listen with me. Now, I'm going to be quoting it from the New International Version. It says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, now what are the last days? Any day since Jesus Any day since Jesus went up to heaven has been the last days. We're in the last days. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Now, what's a scoffer? Somebody who what? Mocks, belittles, makes light of. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing, now they're going to do three things, these scoffers. They're going to scoff. Scoffing, and they are going to be following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Now, how many of you believe that there are people in the world like that? That are literally, well, where is this coming that God promised, you know, this coming that he said he was going to do? And they mock it. Now, what I want you to see is people who mock the return of Christ, they are equated here with following their own evil desires. And I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, before you put your finger in their face and say, you dirty, rotten scoffer, I know you're not a scoffer, but okay, you dirty, rotten scoffer, you're a boy. Before you say that, think about yourself. If you really believed that Jesus could return at any moment and you weren't blowing off his return, you would have lived this afternoon a lot differently. Hmm. Amen? Every minute would be changed if we really believed it. So we could be the scoffers. They'll be scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, how many of you can tell I'm so excited I'm, I'm talking faster, my brain's going faster, my mouth can go. That's okay. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So these are people who say, look, God said he was going to come 2,000 years ago, and even before that, God was saying that Jesus was going to come back a second time. But ever since Daddy died and Granddaddy died and Great-Great-Great-Great-Grandfather died, generations have gone on and on. Everybody gets up in the morning, they brush their teeth, the brand of toothpaste may change, the way that they go to work may change, but everybody gets up, they brush their teeth, they go to work, they come home, they eat dinner, they watch their sitcoms, they go to bed, they get up the next morning. Everybody's been doing it for generations, and he hasn't. Come back. So they scoff at his return. Everything is going on as it has beginning of creation. Do we ever get like that? Do you ever get caught in the cycle? The hamster in the wheel? Okay, now so, so listen to this. This is a very practical scripture here. He says, but what they do is they don't forget by chance. They deliberately forget. So like Romans 1.20 says, they're pushing the truth away. They deliberately forget, number one, that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed. Now, in Apologetics Activated, I've been telling my class, everything goes back to the beginning. Amen? What you believe about the beginning of the universe is very, very important. Because if you don't have it in your head and you aren't excited about Jesus creating the world out of nothing, you're not going to be excited about him coming back and recreating it. Amen? So they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, and that by those waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Now here's the key. They deliberately put it out of their minds that God flooded the world. Because God flooding the world in Noah's day was a divine invasion of history. Amen? It was terribly awesome, and people died everywhere. And these mockers put that out of their head because if he intervened in Noah's day with judgment by water, he might just actually intervene again with judgment. Amen? So they deliberately forget that the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. And that by the same word, now check this out, by the same word that did that, the present heavens and earth are reserved for what? What does it say? Fire. The first judgment was by water. The next judgment will be by fire. Now I want to, I, I want to say here, we're going to talk, we're going to see what Jesus says about Noah's day. This is really important. What your children believe about a literal flood is critically important to what they believe about the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Genesis is important. So it says they delivered that, 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 that that same word is going to destroy the present heavens and earth by fire. They deliberately forget that. Okay? So, let me get back on track. The world at that time was deluged and the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's just being patient with you. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he would like everyone to come to repentance. He would like everyone to come to repentance. But not everyone will. So the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Do you see what it says? Even though he's patient, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements are going to be destroyed by what? Fire. And the earth and everything in it is going to be laid absolutely bare. Now, since everything that we can see and touch will be destroyed in that way, what kind of people ought we to be? What's it say? We ought to live holy and godly lives as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to what? A new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Amen? So scoffers, people who forget that God actually intervened in history while people were living everyday, regular, normal lives, God suddenly brought destruction on the earth. And those who were not waiting for it were suddenly what? Destroyed. Now, I want you to see, this is really cool, one of the things that people talk about that they like when I'm teaching is the cooperation of the Old and New Testament and of different writers together. Now, you've heard the terminology of Peter here, one of Jesus' closest friends. Let's go to Jesus himself and see what he said about the very same topic similarly. So you go to Matthew chapter 24. Everybody go to Matthew chapter 24. This is where it's going to get good now. Now I'm just about, I'm a little bit worked up now. Now I'm ready to get really excited. Okay? Now watch this. If you have a Bible, this will be red letters. If you have a Bible. If you have a red letter Bible, this will be in red because this is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 24. He's talking about his return. Now, here's what he says. Jesus himself says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Nobody knows when he's going to return. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, the best manuscripts that we have include the phrase, nor the Son. Some manuscripts do not include it, but I'm not here to debate that theological point right now. I personally believe that Jesus has withheld that information from himself in his humanness. But okay, the Bible is clear. No person knows the day or the hour of his return. Amen? Of that day, no one knows. For as were the days of what? As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now let's talk about that for a minute. If we were to turn to Luke chapter 17, trust me, when Dr. Luke talks about this very same thing, he adds the detail that Jesus also said, not only would people just be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, he says they'll be planting and building, buying and selling, just doing the everyday stuff of life. Now, Jesus, the Son of God himself, your Savior, said to you, My coming will be like the days of Noah. Now, why did God destroy the earth in Noah's day? Because the thoughts of everyone's mind was only what? Evil all the time. They were very wicked. They were doing perverse and wicked and evil things. What I find interesting is, In this instance, Jesus is not bringing that particular indictment against them. Now watch this. Although they were evil and wicked, 
Jesus, in this context, is talking to his disciples. So he's talking to the church. So he's talking to us. And we know that we're not supposed to, like, do bad things and go into perverse sin. Amen? His indictment here is not their specific particular transgressions against the law. Watch this. What he indicted them for was this. This, this gives me chills. When I started studying this, this gave me chills. What he brought against them was this. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, getting married, having kids, building families on lasting values. They were just doing regular stuff. But they didn't take into account that God could intervene at any second. You see that? It wasn't their particular evil transgressions that he's indicting them for. He is saying this. These people just got up every morning and brushed their teeth. And they went to work. And they dated. And they got married. And they had children. And they went places in their car. And they went to school. And they planted gardens. And they bought new flat screen televisions. And they watched sitcoms at night. And they went to bed. And they got up the next morning. And they made their oatmeal. You see what I'm saying? He's saying they just did regular stuff, but they never took into account that God was going to break into history. They did not take God at his word. There was only one man in his family that took God at his word, and it was Noah. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, one man's family actually said, I think he's telling the truth. And so I'm going to live my life differently, even though everything is going on the same. Are you with me? Now, faith without works is what? Faith without works is dead. Now, Noah could have said, yeah, I believe what you're saying, God, but you know what? I'm just going to do the regular cycle of life thing. And if he had, guess what? He would have died too. Faith without works is dead. You can't be a Christian sitting in a sanctuary tonight and saying, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus could come back at any minute. I believe we're supposed to be waiting and watching for him, but I'm just doing the normal cycle of life thing. No. Because Noah believed, he got up every day, he took real wood, real hammers, real real stuff, and he invested real time And he got dirty, and he got his family involved, and people looked at him, and they mocked him, and he spent the hours of his days building an ark of safety. He wasn't watching reruns of Andy Griffith. You you with me? Noah did something with his life. He built an ark of safety. Now listen, there's no wooden ark that's going to save you from the destruction by fire that's going to come. God's not asking you to build a wooden ark now. But he's asking you to build an ark of safety. And it's going to cost you your time and your thoughts and your efforts and your life. Amen? Cut out the cycle of life thing. Don't be running a rat's race. you got to live with the expectation that God intervenes at every moment and that one day he's going to come crashing into history. Amen? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 7 before we go on in Matthew 24. Genesis chapter 7. Now, I'm actually sweating up here. Not because it's too hot. I'm just sweating. Does any, can anybody tell that I feel like I'm sweating? Okay? Does anybody else feel like I'm sweating because you know I'm worked up? Okay, look at this. Genesis chapter 7. This was real history, guys. And before we read it, I'm going to bring my... Now, God bless my husband, Jeff. He knows that I love biblical things. And one day, many years ago, he bought me this cute little nose ark. Now, when I taught high school Bible for many years, I always told my students, someday when I get rich, I'm going to start a company. And we're going to produce accurate biblical toys. Okay? Now, no rip on anybody who has this currently in their house, okay, because my nephew's name is Noah, and I support the name and all the stuff. But, but seriously, we decorate our children's room with Noah's Ark decor. And when we do... It's always happy blue skies, beautiful little waters, and things like this. This is Noah. Now, the monkeys fell off. There were monkeys on a pole, too, and they were smiling. This is Noah, and this is Mrs. Noah. See, Noah, he's 
hi, everybody. Okay? And then there's some pigs and some kangaroos up here. And usually you see a giraffe, okay, on a Noah's Ark. If, if it's border on a child's room or you're going to the store to buy something Noah's Ark, look at these. They're all happy. Look at them. Hi, they're waving from the top of the ark. We're floating along. Now, I know this is meant to be while they're floating along because we've got the water down here. But do you know when we decorate children's rooms with arcs that are actually on the water and Noah's out the top going, hi, everybody, that's a lie? Really? Now, think about this. You've got to think biblically. You've got to come against the culture with what is the truth. That makes our kids think that that was a happy time. Praise God, that was a happy time. Let me tell you something. I watched last week the first part of the Bible on the History Channel, and I have many things to say, which I won't say right now. But one thing I did like, I really liked, was how they portrayed the flood. I really did. I said, praise God, because I told my students for 12 years teaching in a high school classroom, you remember, Kelsey, don't you? I'm going to start that company someday. Don't worry. I told them they could all buy into it. We're going to get border for children's rooms. It has the real Noah's Ark, okay? Noah and his family were not piping out the top saying hi to everybody because what was actually going on was horror, all right? Now, let's read the actual rendition, and I'm going to tell you what my company's going to produce, okay? All right. Verse 11. Just showing you that this is real history. God isn't playing around. This isn't a fairy tale. It's an exact date. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds. And it goes on and on. Verse um, 16. All those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord God shut him in. There was no stink bug involved, and he was able to shut the door. So God shut the door. Verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. Now watch these details. The waters increased, so it didn't happen all at once. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. And the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So let me tell you what my company is going to be like. Listen, Noah and his family, when that ark started to rise, They weren't waving to anybody. I'm going to tell you what I picture. The waters started to rise. First of all, God shut the door to the giant ship. You know, this big football-length field, gigantic, titanic thing. God shut the door, and everybody probably thought, ooh, maybe he was right. And then the gates burst open, and the waters started coming. And then people realized he was right. And the giraffes weren't waving to people because mothers were grabbing their children and running up hills and mountains as the waters got higher and higher. And they were screaming, dear God, help us. And they're running up mountains. And I can picture fathers taking their sons and climbing trees to get to the top where there was still air to breathe, while the waters just kept coming. And all those people were forced to realize we should have believed. And I'm sure there were blood-curling screams, groans from the animals that were dying, 
screams from the people that were dying. And I love the Bible and History Channel, how it showed arms just going under the water. I'm sure that the floodwaters came so fast and hard that many people were thrown up against rocks and buildings and structures and blood was everywhere and heads were cracked open and people were dying everywhere. That's what my company is going to produce. Border your child's room with that Noah's Ark. I'm going to tell you something. That's what really happened. And when we lead our children to believe that that is not what happened, they are not going to believe what's going to happen again. Are you with me? Noah's Ark is not some little thing to play around with. It is an historical, cataclysmic event of judgment and death. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus believed in it. Your Savior believed that the flood was real. And he told us what would happen. Now check this out. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. I did this when I announced uh, the sermon on on uh, Sunday a week ago. And this is real. It's a modern-day paraphrase. Two kids will be sitting in high school history class at Norwin. One will be taken. One's going to be left. Two women will be baking brownies at their kitchen counter. One's going to go, and one will be left. Amen? That's what it says. That's what Jesus says. He said, therefore, stay awake, because you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not have let his house be broken into. Amen? Therefore, watch this, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Who's Jesus talking to here? The church of Jesus Christ. Listen, he's coming. And nobody knows when. We're not safe because we know the day. We're safe because we're always looking for him. His return's not going to catch Shelley Brindle off guard. I'm waiting for him. I'm looking every minute. Dear God, please come back. I'm waiting at the door. I'm all about it, people. That's the reason he's not going to catch us off guard. Not because we know the day. We don't, you know, we could try to interpret the signs and everything that's going on in the world, but Jesus said, you won't know when. Your defense is, you're always ready. That's what he said we should be. Now, let's turn in our Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. Let's have Luke the physician Cooperate here what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, beginning at verse 34. Jesus again. He's not talking to the world here. He's talking to the church of Jesus Christ. Luke 21, verse 34. But what's it say in your version? Read out loud. But watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down. How many of you ever feel weighed down by life? So down that you're not looking up for his return. Amen? He says, watch yourselves. Jesus knows where it's going to hit us. Let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Because it's going to come upon everybody who dwells on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times. Now before we go there, don't be weighed down by drunkenness. Don't be drunk with wine dissipation don't be scattering everything to the wind and just living however which way you choose don't let your heart be weighed down by the cares of this life yeah the starter in my car went the other day but i'm still looking for jesus to return amen yeah my blood sugar is still out of whack but i'm still waiting for jesus to come back and give me a new body amen Don't let your heart be weighed down by the cares of this life. Don't get so caught up in the stuff you have. Don't go buying more that you can really take care of, more than it's going to consume your time. Amen? Don't be bogged down by that. But stay awake. Watch this. Now, this is scary. He's talking to me. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, Shelly Prindle, stay awake. And pray, watch this, that you would actually have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to actually stand before me. That's sobering. Amen? How many Christians do you think on a daily basis are thinking, man, 
God, please, may I live in such a way that I can stand before you and look you in the eye. That's what he's saying. He's saying, pray. Listen, I don't care what you believe about rapture versus not, whether you believe rapture is pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. It doesn't matter which. Jesus is coming back. And he said, you better stay awake because before I return, things are going to get wild. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to get rough. There's going to be deception of all kinds. It's going to go nutso. You better pray that you have strength to escape what is coming on the scene. Amen? And we're watching globalism take over, and we're watching the stage be set for the Antichrist and his one world government. Amen? And the world is going to come to the Antichrist and believe that in the middle of the chaos that breaks loose, that he is going to bring peace and safety. And then sudden destruction is going to come on them. Amen? That's what the Bible says. It says, stay awake. Make sure that you're ready for my return. Now flip back a few pages and go to Luke chapter 12. Let's go backwards a little bit. Luke chapter 12. Now I want to focus on that first phrase. Stay dressed for action. What do you think that means? Have your Nike tennis shoes on, people. Stay dressed for action. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, I forget the exact verse, but 1 Peter chapter 1, pretty early on, in the King James Version, my students would always laugh at this, the Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. Don't you love the King James Version? Gird up the loins of your mind. Mrs. Prindle, what does that mean? Okay, gird up the loins in biblical days. Men, I would have loved this. I just love to see Jeff in a tunic. Okay, men wore tunics as outer garments. And they were like skirts, you know what I'm saying? So these guys would have tunics on, and girding up the loins meant when they, were, when they had to run or get somewhere quickly, they would take their tunic, their outer garment, they would bring it up and tuck it into their belt and fasten it in there. So girls, we know what this is like when you're wearing a long skirt. You can't run. You know what I'm saying? So the guys would have to put that up in there, tie the belt, keep that tucked up in there so that their legs were free to go. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, Jesus is essentially saying the same thing. Stay dressed for action. Be ready to run, people. Be ready to go. Now, you think I'm crazy. Now, I often say this. You're allowed to think I'm crazy for other reasons. For example, I'm afraid of straw paper. Literally afraid of straw paper. And my nephews gave me a box of it for my birthday. My brother, knowing I hate straw paper... Wrapped my present in a box, put the gift card, taped it to the bottom of the box, and stuffed the rest of straw paper. He said, you want the gift card? Dig through the straw paper. I cringed and cried. And later on, when I was trying to take a nap this afternoon at my mom's house, Jake threw the straw paper all over me. I jumped off the couch. I don't know why. It's just a fetish. Okay? Now, listen. I don't know how I got on that subject. But... Stay dressed for action, okay? And don't anybody in this room, I don't know why I ever do that, don't anybody ever use that against me. So I'm very vindictive, very godly vindictiveness. Okay, stay dressed for action. Be dressed, be ready to go. Now watch this. You may think I'm crazy because of my straw paper fetish and other reasons, but don't think I'm crazy for I'm telling you about the Bible. There's, this is a direct parallel to the Old Testament. I love when the Old and New tie together, don't you? Go back. Now, this is Luke chapter 12. So this is easy to remember. Go back to Exodus chapter 12. Watch this. Exodus chapter 12. He also put straw paper in my shoe, and I didn't know it. I was walking around for an hour outside playing Nerf gun with them, and I thought my sock got thick. There's something wrong with my sock. He said, Aunt Shelley, take off your shoe. Oh, it was in there with my toes for so long. Okay, Exodus chapter 12. Watch this. A little bit of background. This is the Passover. For those of you who may not be familiar, the Passover, we remember, is when God 
through the 10th plague. What was the 10th plague? The plague of what? Death. He sent the flies and the frogs and the darkness and all that, and none of it worked. But in the 10th plague, the plague of death is what caused Pharaoh to cast God's people out of Egypt and out of slavery and into the promised land. Amen? How many of you realize that in the Old Testament, that's typology, that is a picture of Christians being saved from slavery to sin, ejected out of sin's grip, and into the promised land of salvation in heaven. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? And there's nothing that can inject, eject you out of sin's grip except the plague of death of Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Jesus suffered death on our behalf. But Okay, so knowing that's what it is, it's a picture of us being freed from sin and put in salvation. God said, okay, on a certain night, here's what I'm going to do. You're still captive to Egypt. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my death angel to every door. And the firstborn in every household is going to die. But Israelites, if you want to live, take the blood of a lamb, slay the lamb, take its blood, and paint it over your doorpost. And if you have blood over your doorpost, then when my death angel comes down your street and sees that blood, he will what? Pass over you. That's biblical truth. And just so everybody knows, because this is a blessing to my heart, that's exactly how we are saved from death. Hallelujah. When the death angel comes to my door, if the rapture doesn't happen first, the death angel will pass over me. Amen? Because the blood of Jesus is over my heart. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful picture here. But here's what God said. On that night when you slay that lamb, he says, I want you to eat its meat. Look at this, verse 8. Eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire. Verse 8. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Watch this, verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Hallelujah. I believe that's what Jesus was alluding to. Here's what he's saying, church. You got the blood painted over your heart. You're saved. You with me? Now watch this. After you paint the blood of Jesus Christ after your heart, over your heart, and you're saved from your sins, put your sandals on your feet, tuck your tunic in your belt, and get ready to run. Amen. Listen, don't get stuck in the grind of this world. That's not what this life is about. Jesus is coming back. And when it's time for him to eject us out of this dirty, rotten, sinful world and put us into the new one, you better have your sandals on your feet, your tunic in your belt, and be ready to run. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Now, what I want you to do is flip now to the book of Acts. We're going to go all over here, but not to the book of Revelation. Acts chapter 1. When Jesus went to leave the earth, in Acts chapter 1, he died on the cross, he rose from the tomb, he appeared to more than 500 witnesses and his disciples for a period of 40 days. When that 40 days was coming to a close, Jesus gathered his disciples together. Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So he's saying to them, look, wait for the promise that the Father has given. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for it. And they're thinking like Old Testament saints did. They only divided time into two parts, you know, the present age, which is bad, and the future age where Jesus is going to take everything over. So they're thinking the promise of the Father, this is so exciting. Jesus is going to start his millennial reign now. I mean, he died, and we were a little bit fearful then, but he rose from the grave, and now we believe it was really him. And this is so exciting. Now he's alive, and he can take over the Roman Empire, and he can make the world right, right now. They didn't get it. You see what I'm saying? So they came to Jesus, and they said in verse 6, when they came together, they said, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to take over the world now? Are we going to get to rule and reign? Are you going to tramp down the enemy now? And look at what Jesus said. He doesn't say that he's not going to do it, but here's what he said. Doesn't this sound familiar? We read it in Matthew. 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But here's what you should worry about, he said. You don't have to worry about what day and what time I'm coming back. You're not going to know, but you're going to be so ready because you should be what? You should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, look, when it comes to my return, you don't have to worry about what day it's going to be. But here's what you should be worrying about, buddy. You better be praying and being filled with the Holy Spirit and be living a life that makes people step back and say, whoa, God must be real. Amen? That's what this verse is saying. People are going to step back and say, wow, God must be real. One more place I want you to turn. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Paul. Paul is going to talk here. Let's listen to him now in 1 Thessalonians. Now, what's going on in Thessalonica at the time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? The context is the people have gotten confused. Paul's been saying that Jesus is going to return, and here's what they were worried about. Some of our family members and friends have already died. What are they going to do when Jesus comes back? How's Jesus going to help them because they're already dead and in the grave? Now, we all have people like like my nanny up in Greensburg is in the ground somewhere, and her body is decaying, but I know she loved Jesus, all right? So if if Jesus returns tomorrow, their question was, I understand that I'm going to be with them because I'm still alive, so I still have a fighting chance to be with them. But what about people whose bodies are already dead and in the ground? That's what they were concerned about. And here's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, just sidetrack. Asleep in the New Testament is a euphemism for death. Paul means died. And the reason that Paul uses this term is when a Christian dies, we don't really disappear. Amen? We just close our eyes to one world and wake up in the next. So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as others who don't have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have already died. He said, look, We declare to you by a word from the Lord that if we're still alive when he comes back, we will not precede those whose bodies are already in the tomb. Hallelujah. The dead people have an advantage on us. That's basically what he's saying. And then come two of my favorite verses. Watch this. Here's what he says is going to happen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, those who are already buried and dead, whose bodies are disintegrating in the ground, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah! Well, who can't get excited about that? It comes in two waves. Two really quick waves, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that it happens in the twinkling of an eye. But here's the deal. Nanny's coming out of the ground before me if the rapture happens tomorrow. And I've said to you before, and I'm going to say it again, I want to be driving past the cemetery. Yeah! I want to be driving past the cemetery. When the people who are dead in Christ come out of the tomb. And I don't care what disease has ravaged your body. I don't care how many cells of mine are damaged from diabetes. I don't care what cancer has done to anybody's body. I don't care what being blown up by a bomb has done to your body. Amen? The God who made every molecule of you will resurrect every molecule of you and you will live again. Hallelujah. That's what Paul said. And here's what he said then concerning, generally speaking, the day of the Lord, chapter 5. Now watch this. We read it again. Concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people unsaved are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. Now, remember, awake means living and asleep means dead. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You see that? Whether we are dead or alive, we might live with him. Now, everybody in this sanctuary, if I said, when you die, do you want to live with Jesus? How many of you would say yes? When I die, I don't want to go to hell. When I die, I want to be with... Everybody says that. Guess what? Whether you live or whether you die, you've got to live with Jesus. Don't expect that you will be with Jesus when you're dead if you're not with him now. Amen? Do not think that you will be with Jesus when you're dead if you are not with him now. Safe in his arms, in vital, loving relationship with him, waiting for him to come. Because it is going to be sudden and sure destruction for the unsaved. There was no second chance for the people who were climbing mountains and trees and being swept onto rocks in Noah's day, was there? No second chance. There will be no second chance when he returns again. He has given us more than enough proof. And the church of Jesus Christ, the words are this. You will be ready, not because you know the day, but because you're always waiting. You are so in love with Jesus You are so wrapped up in his plan. You are so done with this world and its crazy cycle that you are waiting for him to come back. Amen? And it will happen. The cycle of life goes on and it makes us think it's never going to happen. But it's going to happen. I with this thought.